Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. It's, it's, it's time to talk that talk, and we talk it like no one else. This is the stinking truth. Now, here's your host, Mark Schlereth. Hey guys, welcome to the Stinking Truth Podcast. Uh, Mark Schlereth alongside Mike Evans. Make sure you hit the subscribe button. We need you to do that. Uh, we need to grow the podcast and um, all that good stuff. Super Bowl leftovers. Mike, how are you, buddy? Yeah, you know, the good news is, Mark, that as I like to joke, the NFL is a 365-day-a-year beast that needs to be fed correct so the beauty of the off season is you know for a lot of a lot of you out there the off season is more fun than the regular season there's just yeah, a lot of rumors for, and yeah. stories and well, things especially like that for you people that live in a market that's not actually trying to win <laughs> right there's like so at least <laughs> right. you can win the off season right so there's a lot i always love that about oh this team won the off season and then you know they built this super team and then the team you know basically craps in their helmets so it'll be interesting to see exactly what goes down this off season, but um, yeah, I mean this is this is a fun time of year. The the procurement stage of of the off season. So there is the procurement stage, which is you know free agency in the draft, and then there's the you know preseason or the OTA stage, the preseason stage, then the regular season and playoffs. Well, we'll get to that. But let, let's kind of get into some of the Super Bowl leftovers. And, and and most interesting has been Kyle Shanahan's explanation for what went on in overtime and the decision to take mm-hmm. the ball. And he reiterated that, hey, this was something that we had talked about before the playoffs even began, what we would do in this situation. He did say that it, they didn't talk about it with the team that week, so much so that when they went into overtime that he told all the position coaches – to get with their players mm-hmm. and instruct them on or remind them as to what the overtime rules were. Brock Purdy said he went to Brian Greasy, the quarterback's coach, and said, okay, this is this is what it is, right? These are the rules just right. to make sure. Yeah. So you've heard Kyle's explanation for how they handled overtime. Does it pass? Does it uh, – you okay with it? Well, I mean – 
I think at the like at the end of that thing, there were a lot of people, or that with the time ticking down, there were a lot of people thought that Kansas City they should call a timeout. They're going to run out of time, which you know they just go to the second quarter of overtime. It's just like a regular game. I thought the ref explained that at the coin toss fairly well, but there were a lot of people that were confused about that. I wonder if there were Niners that were confused about that as well. Um, I, I I do think that's one of the things that has to be addressed. Um, we used to have this thing when I played in Washington, and it was an official who presented it like on a weekly basis or quarterly. I think it was a quarterly basis. So, you know, four times during the course of the season because it was a 16-game right. season. And they would present this gold sheet, which was printed on just a gold sheet of paper, but it was the hidden yardage. And it talked about all the little things during the course of a season that make big impact. And it was about, you know, penalties and about situations and all this stuff. And then they would it would be presented to us and it would they would go through situational football that cost us, you know, or cost somebody thirty or forty yards and the difference that made in the course of a football game. And just interesting stuff they like just food to to kind of think about. Uh, um but you know, that said, they had talked about what their plan was for overtime, you know, going into this thing. And I'm thinking to myself, this is the problem with analytics. This is the problem with math. Because math takes the entirety of the league and makes it all equal. You know what's not equal? Patrick Mahomes versus any other quarterback that you play against. It's not. So the fact that you allowed, and this is where I would be critical of Kyle, that you allowed your analytics team to influence you into, a, into not deferring the overtime kickoff, but accepting the ball, taking the ball. The referee even said, are you sure? Like, are you sure? I saw the look on Mahomes' face. They were He was like, right. are you like, kidding me? Incredulous. Right. Yeah. And so... My my point being this, I have watched enough Mahomes to know that I don't want to give him the opportunity to walk me off <laughs> with the last possession. I've seen enough of that. There is There was a stat going around the other day. It was like, of all the quarterbacks who have faced a double-digit deficit and come back, he's like, he has won... 80% of the double-digit di deficits that he has, has faced in the quarter of his playoff career or whatever, the only other guy to even come close to 500, and he's like a game or two under 500, is Tom Brady yeah. at like 11 and 13 yeah, or something yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's, it's insane. So the point being is, you know, once you get the ball and you're in that, you know, either, either you know, you're in that walk-off situation – then it doesn't matter if you get the ball at the two-yard line. You're in four-down territory. Yeah. And it just changes your perspective on the game. And unless you can get him with a sack early or whatever, like it, it just is something that you probably didn't want to face and wasn't well thought out. But the analytics team talked about, well, you know, if it's tied after each guy gets a possession, then the next possession wins. Well, I don't want to give Patrick Mahomes the second possession. Plus, also afterwards, we find out that the Chiefs were going to go for two anyway. Correct. If it was 
that kind of situation where San Francisco scores the touchdown. Yeah. Chiefs come down and score a touchdown. They would have gone for two. Heck, I was sitting on the couch with my 17-year-old son, and we were already speculating yeah. that if Kansas City was going to have to answer with a touchdown, they would probably go for two because you just don't – at that point, you just don't want to keep going because your defense is going to be exhausted, and you might as well just, for better or for worse, end the game right there. I, I, I almost think that it was fitting that the season ended with a coach being maybe – confused or let down by analytics. I, I thought we saw some of the worst coaching this year by NFL head coaches, established NFL coaches, some of the most head-scratching decisions made that were fueled by analytics. I, I think analytics caused some of the worst in-game coaching than we've seen in a long, long time. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point because I think, you know, you talk to coaches, or I talk to coaches every week, and, you know, the – the amount of, of stuff that's kind of on your plate mm -hmm. in-game, the decision-making process in-game, and the fact that you've got somebody upstairs in your ear giving you, hey, percentages. And, and a lot of it is like, okay, we crossed over, let's say we crossed over the 50-yard the line. All right, now the percentages say go for it on, you know, any fourth down and four minus. Like, so now that we're in this position – you know, it says go for it, go for it. And and they'll sit there and they'll say in your ear, hey, think about this. If you get a third down, blah, blah, blah. If it's less than, you know, if it's less than five yards, the analytics tell us to go for it, you know, because and all these all these little things, but you got people in your ear yep. and that's the information they're giving you. But I always say this about, about calling games. All right, so, you know, people have asked me, like, what is it like to call a game? And... You know me. I mean, I'm a. I just am like paranoid about doing the work, right? So I'm studying film. I'm really preparing, and I, I'm. I mean, I dig into a lot of film. I watch a ton of football, and you try to figure out, you know, how are they going to attack this team, and what should they do with this, and what about this formation, and how about nickel versus base, and what about their two tight end package, and you're trying to, you know, assimilate all this information. And in your mind, you end up playing the game in your head of what you think is going to happen, right? And then you get into the game, and it's completely different than what you thought it would be. Mm -hmm. And it happened to me once. I did this Rams-Giants game, and the Rams had been in this bunch formation so this bunch formation and they ran i mean all the stuff they run at a bunch whether it was you know weak side handoff versus front side handoff versus their counter game using a bunch puller one of the pullers to be the backside guy in a counter the power game their screen game off of that their passing game off of that their play action game off of that and they were just eviscerating teams in this bunch set formation. So I built a couple of packages and we're going to do all this stuff. They never got into it one time. Jeez. Oh, they got into it. They had to scrap the whole thing. They got into too tight solo and played the whole game with the Giants at a too tight solo. And you now hindsight being 2020, because I was frustrated during the game because I had played it out in my head. And had I been smart or a better broadcaster, I would have said, hey, you know what? They've been doing this and showed the film. Why are they doing right. this? 
right? Well, they're doing this because, one, they want to work on their too tight formations. Two, they're like, we don't need to be creative to beat the Giants because their offense is so big, bad. Like, if we score 17 points, we win. And so it was a, it was a time to break tendencies, to be a key break, and also to work on a package that they're going to need down the road. And ultimately, the thing I learned doing that game was you got to call the game in front of you. You can't call the game that you think is going to happen. You got to call the game that actually is happening. And the same thing can be said for analytics. You can't call the game based on analytics. If I can't block your three technique, guess what? Throw analytics out the window. Like I always, I always laugh. Like I've gotten my ass kicked all day long trying to block this three technique, but all of a sudden it's fourth down and one with a game on the line. Now I'm going to block him right. because analytics tells me to. <laughs> right. Right? right. I had one coaching staff tell me, he goes, he goes, the analytics department said, hey, man, we should run to the left. Like we should change the percentage. We should have 65 to 70% of our runs to the left versus to the right because right now we're averaging almost a yard per carry more to the left. And the coach said, we're playing the Rams, and Aaron Donald lines up over there, you dumbass. Right. So we're not running over there. Right. Like, right. Like, right. right. But the analytics doesn't tell you who's lined up over there. Right. They just tell you what probability. the yeah. yeah, the probability yeah. says. So um, I'm with you. I think it's a, a stew point that you make that we've seen so many guys get caught up in the math of the whole equation yeah. that they lose sight of the game that's actually being played. Well, Well said. Well said. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Um, The aftermath for the Chiefs, it's all... From a historical standpoint, mm. are they a dynasty? Yes. Yeah. Is Patrick Mahomes now the greatest quarterback of all time? No. Right. But check back. What do you make of the idea that he's already done enough to be called the greatest ever? Yeah, I mean, from you know, from from where he stands right now, is he the best quarterback in the league? Yeah. Yeah, obviously, right. But from a historical standpoint, he's still got work to do. If you're going to say, hey, seven titles with Brady and what Brady meant to the Patriots and then going back to Tampa Bay, then, no, he's not there on that level yet. But the guy is incredible. And I will say this, the confidence that he brings to a football team. People always ask me what it was like to be in the in the huddle with Elway. And I think the confidence that Elway brought in the huddle, not because he had bravado, not because of any of that stuff. It's just that regardless of what the situation was, 
you always felt like Elway is going to make a play in a critical moment to help you get a victory. You could be down by 14, and and he walk in that huddle and be like, okay, here we go. Like, it's on. Let's roll. And I think when I look at the Kansas City Chiefs, they have that about them. Whether their offense was struggling like it was in the first half, there is a believability and a confidence that that exudes throughout that football team because of the guy that you got playing quarterback. And that defense is out there going, hey, man, if we just get one stop, just give us one stop, we got 15 on the other side, and he's going to put points on the board. And that is such a powerful position to be in, right, to have that confidence. You think about the game in general, man, you got to have physical abilities and all that kind of stuff, right? All that stuff is really important. But there is nothing like having confidence. And confidence comes, like I always say, the difference between confidence and arrogance. Arrogance comes from a place of fear. I haven't done the work. I know I'm not really all that good, but let me puff out my chest and bang my fists on it. Confidence comes from a place of I've done the work. Yeah. I know what I've done. I'm not afraid because I've been there. I've done that. And they have that confidence about them as a football, not just as player, as a football team, they have it. Well, and I think it, it fits when you, you start talking about other sports as well. So here we are in Denver. Yeah. Home of the world champion Denver Nuggets. Suck on that, America. Right. But we're at a time right now at the all-star break where they've lost three in a row and they're kind of limping into the Mm -hmm. all-star break. And there's this sense is, is there something wrong? And I, I don't think there's anything wrong because I know that this team will be ready and will flip the switch when the lights are brightest. And you made a great example on our radio show, comparing the nuggets to the chiefs and the chiefs are a great reminder that when you see a championship caliber team, quote unquote, struggling, Mm -hmm. Look at it maybe a little differently. Yeah, I mean, all season long, it was the Chiefs aren't the same. Yeah. And the Chiefs aren't going to win, and the Chiefs this, that, and the other. And oh, they don't look like they don't look right, and something's wrong. They're vulnerable. Off. They're yeah. vulnerable. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it was like, oh, playoff time. Yeah. Oh, really? We're going to play a top ten defense in Miami? Check. Top ten defense in Buffalo? Check. Top ten defense in <laughs> in Baltimore? Check. Top ten defense in San Fran? Check. Not a problem. We'll be all right. You know, and even though it was like, hey, they scored 22 points, you know, a game or whatever in the regular season, and they were only scoring 23.6, like it's one point, they weren't turning the ball over. They were playing with great confidence, and they were playing against great defenses, great defenses. And I felt like the same way about the Nuggets is just like, hey, man, they are starting five-wise as good as there is, if not the best in this league. They've got the best player in the na- in the National Basketball Association in Jokic, which he compares favorably to Patrick Mahomes. He just makes the plays. Yeah. He makes all the plays. He can take the game over on his you know his own shoulders, or he can defer. He does a great job with that stuff. So, and I just don't I don't have a lot of worry. They got 27 games left after the break, and I'm like, yeah, they'll go 20 and seven, right. 21 and six. And they'll be like, ready. They'll be ready to roll. Like the Chiefs were. Just like the Chiefs yeah. were, were. And, and you know, I mean, I, I look at the Chiefs right now, and history is a big motivator. Like, I was on one of the last teams to go back-to-back, and Elway retired. And, you know, I mean, we're going to go win one for the Gipper, right? But And Greasy's, Greasy's a, a dear friend, wonderful human, and a, he was a really good quarterback. 
but he was using it like his second year. Like, you're not, okay, you know, the odds are that, you know, that's going to be hard. But, hell, you're going to get Travis Kelsey back. You're going to get Patrick Mahomes back. You're going to get one of the better inside three offensive lines back with Tooney and, and Humphreys. And, you know, and you're going to get your Rice is going to be another year in the league. Yeah. They've got to find a way to get Chris Jones signed to a long-term deal. They'll probably franchise him again, whatever. But I'm just—I just look at it, and go. I mean, I hate to think about them three peat because it makes me want to throw up my mouth. But, <laughs> but former Bronco, yeah. But why not? <laughs> yeah. Like you look at that. Why not? Well, it—it's it, a reminder in a world of sports where so many teams are trying to learn how to win. Mm-hmm. The power of knowing how to win. Oh, Very yeah. few teams have it, but those that have it that know what it takes to win, mm-hmm. wow, that is a powerful, powerful tool to have come winning time. You know what's what's crazy about that is everybody sees the talent. You know why people see talent because why? Talent's easy. It's easy to see a guy that runs fast or jumps high or a guy that has unbelievable ability to throw the ball and all that kind of stuff. It's just easy. Anybody can see it. You don't have to be an expert. You can, you can just see. You can see talent. I always told this to my son when he was, you know, coming up playing baseball. Talent's wasted on talented people. What you don't see is the prep. What you don't see is just the absolute balls that you have to have to be great. The desire to be great, but the work, right? The work that re- is required to be great, that's what people don't see. It's like everybody wants, everybody like recognizes, everybody recognizes when the spotlight's on and you do something, you do something great. But to be put in that position to do something great, it's all the times you, that you're working where you're not seen. Then you're studying. I always say this about, about teams that want to be championship. Like they talk about themselves that way. We want this and we want to do this. Like you think you're working hard. You think you're preparing hard. You think you're putting in the extra hours. You think you're doing all this. Like, you don't know what the kind of work it takes to be a champion. You guys just don't know. And it's one of those, I really believe it's one of those learned traits or learned behaviors. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. So we uh, head off now into the offseason where 31 teams will be trying to get Mm-hmm. To where the uh, Chiefs are at? Although, is it really thirty-one teams? Mm-hmm. How many? How many teams out there do you think will be going into this offseason? Starting with free agency here very soon. How many teams go into the offseason with the real commitment to trying to win a Super Bowl? Ten to twelve. That's it. Yeah. 
10 to 12 NFL teams are trying to win. 10 to 12 NFL teams are committing to win a championship. 20 teams are just like, hey, man, if one comes down the pike, woo, yeah, whoop de doo I mean, this is going to be great. We'll take it. You know, if all the stars align perfectly and we get there and we win one, that would be awesome. But I, I truly think there are 10 to 12 teams that are structured properly from ownership to coach to players, organizational structure um, that are that truly believe in championship like that like I, I always look at 20 teams that are just like hey man we're just really happy you know our franchise growing in value 12 percent a year or 15 percent a year or whatever it is i mean look at the washington commander sold for 6.05 billion dollars they they haven't won since i played there dude think about that yeah in 1991 was the last time they won anything. And yet their franchise has grown. When when Daniel Snyder took over the franchise in 1998-ish, he bought them for like $850 million. They just sold for $6.05 billion, yeah. and they ain't won dick. <laughs> I mean, they won. They have one dick. So eloquent. I mean, it's just amazing. It's a wordsmith it, right there. Right. It amazes me. It am and there's a lot of owners that just that's that's so, what they're in it for. Well, don't leave me and everybody in suspense. You say like ten to twelve. Name them. Hmm. Um, I think that history would tell you New England is in it to win it. I think that. Um, you know, I think their owners is that way. I think the Rams are that way. I think San Francisco's that way. Um, Kansas City. Kansas City is certainly that way. Pittsburgh. Um, I do think I do think Pittsburgh's got the structure in place. Yes. Okay, that's um, five. Yeah. Uh, Baltimore. Yeah. I, okay. I. You know, I've talked to Steve Bashotti a time or two, and and I do believe that. He does things the right way out there. Dallas. I think Dallas is committed to – I don't think their organizational structure is is such that they will win a championship. I think it's misguided. I think, like, I think Jerry Jones circumventing the, the, you know, the coach's authority. I think, you know, when Trey Lance shows up in your locker room and your head coach didn't know you traded for him, mm -hmm. that's a problem. Mm -hmm. uh, I think there's, like, organ – I think – He's committed financially, yep. and he really wants to win, but he can't get out of his own way. Mm -hmm. So he would be one of those teams. That would be a tricky one. Like if, if there's 10 that are really legit, he'd be right. 11 or 12 because he, he'll spend the money to do it and he'll do all that stuff. But the structure, in my mind, isn't right. Buffalo, Cincinnati. I like Buffalo. Yeah. Cincinnati. He's got the quarterback in place, but I don't believe their organizational structure and the way they spend money is is – the right way, mm -hmm. just historically right. speaking. Um, yeah, so I, you know, yeah, it's just as it, it's just interesting. It, it really is. Um, it'll be interesting. Like I think Seattle was that way. I don't know. Like there's a new coach in place and everything else, but really they've been they're selling off, like they're selling off bits and pieces 
of Paul Allen's estate. And the last piece that will be sold is is the Seahawks. And they're trying right now. Are they trying to win a championship or are they just trying to I don't know. Like yeah. I, like that one's a little bit quirky with me because that they're gonna they're gonna sell that off and they're trying to grow that franchise to its highest value. So I don't know the ownership commitment right now because that's just a that's the crown jewel in that state that is going to be sold. So starting next week, we'll we'll start diving into free agency, which is coming up here in a few weeks. What's your your overall view of free agency when it comes to team building? I think that most guys that are allowed to hit free agency are as flawed as drugstore diamonds. So you have to be very careful because that first tier of free agents that that you're purchasing overpaying for. Yeah, you're you are you are getting you know, you you are getting good to above average talent that you're paying all pro Hall of Fame prices for. So you've got to be very careful. And, you know, sometimes I, you know, I throw myself, I was a free agent once. I throw myself in that category yeah. because I couldn't pass a physical. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, from a leadership standpoint and a guy that was going to play and a guy that was going to play well, like you got all that stuff, but could you count on me? Probably not. I so, mean, I play hurt and stuff, but you knew I was going to have some injuries along the way, so, and you had to manage my career. So so my overall thought on, on free agency has always been this. You tell me if I'm being overly simplistic. Mm -hmm. Is that what concerns me about free agency is the team that knows the player the best is prepared to let him go. And that immediately sends up a red flag for me. I'm 100% with you okay. on that. 100% right. with you. And I think it's a great... It's a great way. That's that's why. Now I wasn't a a, a first tier guy, um, you know. But there's always something. Sometimes it's attitude. Sometimes the guy's just a problem. Sometimes he's never he's never happy. He's never satisfied. He's never. Sometimes he's injured. Sometimes he's just, you know, lacks lacks you know integrity is, you know, a management problem, like whether it's an attitude issue or, you know, has had issues running the streets or whatever it is, but there's always something there in free agency that you have to look at. I don't think it was that way when free agency first started, like in 93 or whatever it was, mm -hmm. because at that point, everybody coveted everybody else's players, <laughs> like, like, ooh. And so like, but we really like that guy. And what teams found out, I think this is the other thing about free agency that you really have to look into, is does that guy fit what we do? Mm -hmm. And every player has strengths and weaknesses. And the key is to understand what that guy's strengths and weaknesses are and to help him mitigate the weaknesses and help him lean into the strengths. Like, that's an important aspect of this. And so you may see a guy that does some unbelievable things on film, and you're like, we got to have us that guy. Like, I'll give you a for instance. Um, Jamal Adams, okay, who's with the Jets and was big-time all-pro player. Well, the way they used him, 
he was essentially a linebacker, right? He's a blitzing Jesse, man, coming off the edge and tearing guys up, and he is phenomenal at that. Phenomenal. Well, you make the big deal for him in Seattle, and he's still great at that, but you know what he's not great at? Coverage. <laughs> he's just not the best coverage guy. And you may not have realized that when you sign him to the big deal, and then you start to realize, we want to use him here, and we want to use him here, and we want him to be our next Earl Thomas, who was the one of the greatest erasers at yep. the safety position yep. in history. And then you get him, and you pay a bunch of money for him, and you realize, oh, shoot, he can't do that. So now we only have to use him. We've got to use him in this small space. Now, of course, he's been hurt and all those things, and that that's contributed to the lack of success they had with him. But you better you better kind of understand what you're getting and what that guy can and can't do, and every system's different. I mean, I've seen guys that I think could have been Hall of Famers in the right system that ended up busts because of where they got drafted. Really? And that how they, big of a – Oh, absolutely. It makes that big of a difference? Absolutely. Huh. If you put a guy and ask him to do a bunch of stuff that he can't do, like I always say this, and I've said it on broadcast before, put a guy in a position to fail. Don't be surprised when he fails. You're the dumbass that put him there. Right. So, I mean, there's there's like like a coach that sees a matchup and goes, oh, my God, I can't believe this matchup. And they're like, we're going to exploit this matchup. We're going to attack this matchup. You know, it's a receiver against their DB. It's their third DB in it. But, you know, to to get us in the the in the in situation we want, we've got to leave our right tackle, you know, locked up one-on-one with Dwight Freeney or whatever, right? right. And and you, you fool yourself into believing, well, he'll hold up. We just got to have you hold up on this play. Well, I, you know, and you may hit one play, and it's a big play, and you're like, yeah, I told you guys, and you're patting yourself on the back, and then the next time you don't hit the play, and then it's a third down and four with the game on the line. Dwight Freeney does that spin move inside, hits your quarterback, strip sack, fumble, bounces up, somebody scoops it and goes for a touchdown, and you lose the game because you're the dumbass (laughs) that decided to go, yeah, my right tackle can hold up. My right tackle can hold up. Right, right. And that's, that's part of coaching. Well, it should be fun. Yeah. Free agency's fun. Draft is fun, but free agency is coming up next, so get ready for the rumors, and it's going to be fun. We'll be here for all of it. I love it all. It's always a great time, and uh, we'll see if your team can win the offseason because that's way more important. (laughs) That's like winning the uh, in-season tournament for the NBA (laughs) and hanging up a banner for that piece of crap. Uh, Yeah, win the offseason, lose in the regular season. I don't know. There's a lot of teams that are trying to win the offseason. I think it's more important to win the season, but – you know, what do I know? Or the postseason. Anyhow, for everybody involved in the Stink Truth Podcast, for Mike, I'm Mark. Thank you so much for listening and enjoying and sharing the podcast with everybody you know. Uh, unless, of course, you hate it, then share it with nobody and keep your mouth shut. Till next week. Later.